Hello everybody, it's Roscoe here from the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is part two of our interview and catch up with European tour star Lucas Herbert. Part one was last week. If you missed that, please go back and, and check out part one. But this is part two where we talk about a whole host of uh, other things, including Lucas's time in Scotland and his time at Wentworth. And we end up having a bit of fun and having a bit of a general chat with Lucas. Once again, always great to catch up with Herbie. Fun young man, pleasure to have on the team. Pleasure to watch him play golf and grow and learn. And that's what this podcast was really focusing on, his learning and growth during this year. And you get a lot of that out of it. Please also don't forget to go over and check out the Insight Golf Academy. That's Jamie's way of helping you improve your mental performance on the course where you can build an unbreakable routine. Check it out, Insight Golf Academy. The links are in the Jamie Glazier Instagram bio. The links are in Ross Flanagan Golf bio, My Love of Golf bio. They're, they're everywhere. But uh, go out and check that out because it is one way online from the power of your computer, from the power of your phone, where you can get some of the training and learning, the likes of which Jamie gives to Lucas, you can get that for yourself at less than a golf lesson. So jump in, have a go at that. But listen to the podcast with Lucas now, part two, and we look forward to catching up with Herbie again. Thanks for listening. Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. The show dedicated to fun, practical mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. In some of those moments you know like I think uh, in the fourth round in Ireland where you hit that maybe on the fourth or the fifth hole went through the green and nearly into the back of the water there and you know I think made double or something like that remember that that hole in, in Ireland at the Irish Open yeah thanks for jogging my memory on that one sorry sorry but but I just <laughs> <laughs> that that wasn't a get back at you about chipping me for my short game which is shit <laughs> but, but, oh, geez, if it was that would have been special no no but what I was saying is is you know I watched obviously pretty closely and pretty intently and like your behaviour and your reactions, you know, like it was fairly, you know, you didn't get bent out of shape, you yeah. know, and yeah. that's that's what I noticed. And I, you know, think, I, I think too, um, Roscoe, Herbie and I, we've spoken a lot this year, like a huge amount this year on self-awareness and, you know, he's developed such a great level of self-awareness um, this year uh, which I suppose it was inspired a little bit by a, a musician that uh, that Herbie likes, and, and an interview that he listened to him, um, and just just tell him it was John Mayer. Well, it was John Mayer. Um, just yeah, just he, there was an interview uh, that John Mayer uh, had that talked a lot about his struggles that he had with addiction and, and, and other things in his life, and coming out of it was just a, a lot of self awareness. Um, and, yeah, Herbie's done a phenomenal job this year having that self-awareness. And the important thing is, is instead of me coming to Herbie and, okay, you know, we've, we've got to work on this and we've got to chat about this, just making sure everything's right and all that sort of stuff that we do as coaches, he's got such a great self-awareness now. He's coming to me when he's noticing things and he's noticing yeah. things that he, he would never have noticed before. Um, and, you know... I may not speak to him for seven or eight days and he'll message me and just, you know, mention something or give us a call. And and that's such a powerful and meaningful conversation because then that leads to some of the things that are beneath the surface. But, you know, this, this year it's it's been really, uh, yeah, really 
rewarding seeing his own growth and development in uh, in a lot of different areas, not just golf related, but um, personally um, in, in a year that's been so challenging for so many. Lucas, yeah, I was gonna, I was just going to say that. Yeah, I'm an old guy, right? I'm older than him, not much, but you know, we're similar. Let's say we're similar, similar age. Oh, let's say we're similar, similar age. <laughs> oh, um, but you know, in the in the work that we do, Jamie and I doing this, and the work that we've done on this Insight Golf Academy together, and the learning that I've had through you know just being alongside, you never stop learning. You know, and this is not me trying to give you advice about learning and and getting old, and you know, an old guy telling a young guy, absolutely not. My, I've got a son that's not much younger than you, and um. You know, you never stop learning, and and I, I learn, and and I'm keep learning, and it's a really rewarding part of life is being able to learn new things, keep learning, and, and have this awareness. So, it's um it's good to hear that you know that's a good thing that you've put in place, and it's a really great asset at a young age to have that skill forever. Yeah, to me, um, I would say probably one thing that makes me as good as I am is I I genuinely have very honest conversations with myself and with Jamie or with Dom or whoever's on my team and um and i'm i i try and i absolutely try not to hide anything from them in what's going on in, in any part of my life really um i try and be super honest with them so that they know exactly what's going on and and can figure out the best way to deal with things and and to me yeah coming with i mean some of the things that i come to jamie with seem like for someone who's ranked i think i'm ranked top seven in the world you would actually laugh at for why, how have you not figured that out yet? But, you know, we, I, I, there's stuff that I bring up. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm not happy with this. Um, I think this happened or I, I, you know, I've just got this inkling that this is going on. Like, can we chat about it? Can we figure out what's going on? And to me, it's not an insult to have that, um, that deep conversation where, you know, Jamie might pry at things in, in my personal life or Jamie is going to ask uncomfortable questions. Like, to me, that's like that's great because it feels like we're going to un- uncover some stuff that we haven't before, and we're going to probably find a way to, to fix it or get around it. And then, to me, it's like, how much better are we going to be when we've worked out how to, you know, how to negotiate that problem rather than or navigate that problem? Sorry, rather than um, than just trying to avoid it altogether. And I think that's probably a big thing that you you see with, especially with guys eighteen, twenty years old coming through and. I think it's probably derived from, you know, being in programs, you know, development programs where if they maybe don't do a gym session three times a week, they get funding taken away from. So all of a sudden it becomes very easy to lie to their, their service providers or coaches or whatnot, because they don't want funding taken away from. So they end up with, you know, the people who are trying to help them end up with this false sense of reality of what's going on. And, you know, I probably had that going through as an amateur. So the first thing I did when I was a pro was go, right, I'm going to be completely honest with everyone around me because I'm paying the bills now. If Jamie has an issue with me drinking two glasses of red wine on Wednesday night, that's his problem and I'm not going to lose any funding from it. Yeah. And I think too, Roscoe, this is we as a team, like we talk, we always talk about the athlete learning and who he's done so well and learning. Dom and I and the team, we learned as much if not more the past 12 months um and that's you know we're all like dom and herbie and myself where uh we're, we're all new to this top 100 you know working towards the top 50 i've never worked with an athlete in the top 50 uh, dom hasn't so we're all learning on the fly as well and um 
I think the thing that's that has been so rewarding is the relationships that we have foster that that honest, open relationship, honest, open communication, and helps us to work through some of the things that that, uh, that have gotten in the way of, of the journey. Um, but when I say got in the way, I don't think, and Herbie I know would probably agree, I don't think we would change a thing about what happened the last 15, 18 months because of what we learned from it and what we've put into place this year as a team. And now look where we're at again. Um, yeah, it's been some pretty valuable uh, valuable lessons for us all. Yeah, I don't... It sounds super cliche and corny, but, like, honestly, I don't really have any regrets about any of my golf career because, like, I am who I am right now um, because of the decisions that I made. And, you know, that I like... I know what I know now because I made the mistakes that I made um, and I want to keep making mistakes so that I learn more about what I, what I can do, what I need to do and what I don't need to do. Um, so yeah, like I wouldn't change, like I wouldn't change anything. I mean, we were talking about John Mayer before and they sort of, I think they asked some sort of question around like, if you could go back and tell 20 years ago, John Mayer, anything, what would you tell him? And he's like, oh, that guy wouldn't listen to anything. And I kind of feel like I'm the same way. You know, if you went back five years and tried to tell Herbie who was 19 years old, something, there's no way that kid, that kid would have listened to anything that, you know, me or any of us on the podcast would, would offer um, for advice. So, and I'm, to be honest, I'm probably the same way right now. If 30 year old me turned up in the living room tonight, I don't think I'd listen too much to him either. Yeah, that's a, a good point because, I think when I try to look back at myself as an early 20s, I'm probably sure I was exactly the same. I think we all were at that age. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, part and parcel of of that age and where you're at. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been... Um, one, it's, it's... one thing I definitely learned this year as well, um, it's sort of an interesting one, but, you know, if... I've heard, I've heard a lot of people around me talk about me in this way in that they'll say I'm very mature in some areas and then I'm very immature in other areas. And I always took that as a bit of an insult in that I was like, oh, okay, I've got to get more mature in some of these areas, um, you know, like whatever they might be, how I act after I've had 10 beers or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. There was just obviously people saying that, you know, in some ways I was 24 and in some ways I was 40. Um, but this year I learned that it's actually a really good thing. I actually really want to stay that way. And I want to keep, I want that side of it's immature and acts like a 24 year old because we never want to lose. We never want to skip any, any period of time in our life or generation in our life. Like I want to still live my twenties. I've got a great job where I get to travel world and play golf and make very good money doing it. That doesn't mean I don't want to live any of the life in my twenties. Um, so I actually now take that as a real compliment in that, yeah, there's areas when it's, you know, maybe dealing with members of my team or figuring out how to get ready to play a golf tournament or these types of things where I'm actually quite mature, but then there's other areas of me that is 24 and that's how I want to keep it. What, what um, do you, I was going to, I was just going to ask, you know, that you, the guys that you're around and on tour, you know, do you see similar sorts of behaviors or do you see, you know, behaviors that you just think, I'm not going anywhere near that type of behaviour or, you know, I look towards that person who's, you know, maybe in that similar age bracket. Just broke. You still there? 
think he's back now. Yep. Sorry, just broke up. I missed all that question. I was just going to say, um, is is there anyone that you're, you know, hanging around on tour week in, week out, you have a similar age bracket that you, you know, seeing behave in a way that, you know, you think I probably don't want to go and behave like that or, you know, that's not sort of that's a reminder of what I should stay away from or, you know, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like are you, do you see all, all types and, you know, does it stand out a little bit more now, you know, through, you know, the position that you're in now? Yeah, I think to a degree um, I would say – I would say life on tour matures you very quickly. Um, There's a player who is Australian who's probably spent around two years now on the European tour. Um, I won't name who it is, but I played with him around two years ago and thought he was very immature um, and didn't really want to have a lot to do with him. And then, two years on, I wouldn't say he's uh, the picture of maturity um, now, but he's definitely matured quite a bit. And I think, um, you know, life out on tour is a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, You're thrown in the deep end to see whether you can swim. So um, he's definitely had to figure out as all of us have really, I I don't, I I make it sound like he's on his own there. I was probably exactly the same way. Um, We all have to figure out, how to run our lives and, and how to function um, being in a different continent nearly every week um, out there and then go and perform and, and, and earn a wage. Um, it's just, there's just no room for making immature decisions and, and um, you know, acting like a spoiled brat and a kid. So um, yeah, there's, there's, there's players out there for sure that, um, I mean, a lot of the time, yeah, a lot of the time they're probably new on tour and they just are inexperienced. Um, and they're more, they're probably more looking at other players that are, you know, probably more mature and, and been out there longer than, than me. I wouldn't say I'm any sort of role model for these guys um, in my third year on the European tour. But yeah, they look to, to older players to kind of figure out um, just how to, how to go about managing their life and, um, and making better better decisions, better more mature decisions um, when they're out there on tour, and um, yeah, you sort of you know there might be guys that you kind of probably keep at arm's length for a little while until um, until they've kind of figured that out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like it's funny that you know the most mature ones are the are the really are the guys that are in their late thirties and forties. So um, I probably don't spend as much time with them given the age gap and. Um, just, you know, different parts of life. They're generally married with kids and I have no partner and no kids. So, um, you know, just the way they see life is a little bit different. Um, and then, you know, a lot of guys my age are, are still enjoying life as 24 and 25-year-olds. So um, everyone's kind of in, in different stages and, and parts of their life. And um, I just like to keep a, a good um mix of guys that I hang around with and play practice rounds with and and um and ask for advice and, and all that kind of thing just so that you feel like you you know you get sort of an opinion from a lot of different places um to form your own. So then then on the flip side, you know, when you get to spend uh was it three rounds or maybe three rounds or four rounds? Three rounds with Robbie Rock. You yeah. know, Jamie and I had serious hair envy uh watching you all that time with Robbie, but you know, I think you're a Robbie Rock fan. You know what what do you learn from someone like Robbie and, and being around that sort of level of experience and, and uh, you know, maturity, I guess, in, in a tour, tour player sense? 
Yeah, Rocky, I, I, I don't know how you could not be a Robert Rock fan. Um, I, uh, October 1 is now Robert Rock Day. Uh, <laughs> anyone playing golf on October 1 will be required to wear no hat. Um, we can maybe make an exception for Jamie because it will uh, it will burn up quite crisply if there's any sort of sun out. But um, Rocky is... Rocky is extremely old school, I think would be the, he's the modern day Ben Hogan. Um, he, you know, is, is very, very old school in his approach to the game of golf, I would say. Um, you follow him on Instagram, he's, he's put up a lot of posts recently um, just about how he kind of sees the game. And that'll kind of give you a pretty good insight as to as to who he is and, and the type of person he is. Um, and yeah, like I was asking him a bunch of questions during that Scottish Open, and you know it was funny. Like Jamie and I, like I, I'm a massive music guy. I absolutely love music. I, to be honest, like when I'm home in Noosa, I don't think I turn the TV on for three weeks. Like if I, as soon as I wake up in the morning, the speaker goes on, and I've got a playlist on, and then. I go to practice and I'm listening to music and I get in the car and the first thing that happens is I plug my phone in to play music and I come home and I listen to music. Um, so it's, I don't know whether it's, I don't know whether it's everyone, but it's for someone like me, music really, um, it really facilitates that creative and artistic kind of way of playing golf and, and seeing shots and, and, you know, getting into, I, I really find it gets me into a, a mood going onto the golf course. So yeah, like that, that self-awareness of like where I'm at in the morning and then, um, you know, kind of figuring out, okay, what are we going to listen to today to get myself in the right mood to play golf? So, you know, if it's, if it's the last round of a tournament and you're up near the lead, you're probably going to be listening to stuff. that's a lot more chilled out so that, you know, it brings your heart rate down and it, and it just relaxes you a bit more, but then, you know, if, you're at a, if it's a 6 a.m. tea time and you've been up at 3.30 in the morning, you might need something that's going to pep you up a little bit more. Um, so it's always, you're always trying to figure out what you're going to listen to. And so I, I listen to music before I play every day. And, and, you know, I spoke to Rocky. I said, do you ever listen to music when you practice? And he's like, absolutely never. Absolutely never. Like, you know, the old school guys, they want, they want to hear the strike of the ball and they want, to, they want all of their senses when they're hitting a golf shot to work out what they think of that shot. So, um yeah, it was like it was interesting talking about that sort of stuff, and then you know, even he just put up, he just put a, a post about putting, and just the way he looks at putting, and it's such an old school kind of view. Those those guys never really putting was kind of like an afterthought to them. It was it was sort of like sort of like you almost got lucky if you hold putts for the day. You know, it was like the, your job was to hit it good every day, and then it was like, did you get lucky and hold some putts to shoot a score? Um, whereas I think the modern day player a lot more now thinks of putting as as I mean, for me, it's like what I rely on. It's it's kind of the thing that I lean on when I'm playing badly is is I make a lot of parts and it's not luck at all. Like I'm 100%, you know, I, like I'm, a, I'm my, my stats show how good a putter I am um, because I work really hard at it. So, yeah, it's it's sort of, he, he's so old school that like there's some stuff that you just go, right, that's, you know, that's 50-year-old information and some of it you go like, actually, that's quite interesting and I'm, going to take on board what he said there and, and maybe have a bit more of a think about it and chat to Jamie and Dom about it. I love the fact that, uh, you know, as a player, you know, he's obviously, you know, getting, uh, I'm not sure how old he is, he's 40-something, you know, but he's certainly not the longest on tour and, you know, can still mix it up there. And it's a real good, 
you know, it's a whole nother golf story, but, you know, the length and the distance and all of that sort of thing. But, you know, here he is, you know, belting it. I don't know. What does he hit it? 250, Look, 260? Mate, he's still long. There's no... Still long? Don't, don't let that fool you. He's still... I, I, like, I would say that I would just have him lengthwise, but it's not as if it's not as if I'm yelling back to him to ask him how far he's got in for his second shot yeah. um, after that tee shots. He's he's competitively long, and especially into the wind, he's he's gotten me many times off the tee um, yeah, yeah. into the wind because yeah. his technique is that good. He can knuckle it through the wind. Cool, incredible. Very good. Yeah, he's good. To, he's good to watch, isn't he? He's just he's one of those. I'll call him a little bit Ben Crenshaw-like when when Ben Crenshaw's playing golf or walking a fairway, you like you're paying attention. You notice him. He's got this aura about him. And Rocky's Rocky's the same. Rocky's just got this little bit of aura around him. Um, he's uh, it's just so great to see him play golf and watch what he does. And um, and you know, I, th- I think one thing about Herbie that I don't know. I don't know how many people know, but Herbie is such a deep thinker, like such a deep thinker. He processes things to such a such a high level, and um, he's such an intelligent. Um, he's got such an intelligent mind. Uh, I remember a conversation a couple of years ago at the U.S. Open we had again after some wine was drank, um, and I was just like, "Holy hell!" Like this is one of the first times I've actually seen this level of uh, analytical sort of thinking, uh, processing what's going on, uh, communication. And um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been great to see how, how deeply he thinks and analyzes things. And, um, you know, he's not, he's not at the level that he's at now solely based on his ability. It's, you know, a lot to do with the hard work. He got it from mum's side, obviously. He got it from mum's side. Love it. Love it. Lucas, there's, there's, and sorry, just to go back to the, the golf part, and there's a question that um, I've got because, as I said, I, I watched pretty intently, you know, through that Irish and Scottish Open. You know, I'm pretty close to that part of Scotland. I played at Renaissance Club last year. Uh, looked like the course was set up a bit different to what it was the year before and, and whatever. But the question I got, and you talked about the bubble, um, you know, moving from Ireland to Scotland, what what did the bubble really look like? You know, you saw, talked about everyone being in the ho- same hotels and, you know, you, we don't get to see that. But what was that like? Did you all have to travel from Ireland to Scotland in the same planes or that sort of thing? Or was it that much of a bubble or was it just make your own way to Edinburgh and then you're staying here and then you trans? Yeah, you know, what was that like? No, so it was sort of like you were in and then out of the bubble. So um, we stayed, we were playing in Northern Ireland at Galgorm um, Resort. So uh, once you basically, either once you got to the hotel or once you did a, a test, um, the testing facilities were at the golf course. So um, once you did your test, you were basically considered to be in the bubble. So then you couldn't, you couldn't leave. The only, the only thing you could leave um, either the golf course or the hotel for was to get petrol in the car. Um, you couldn't go like you couldn't go down the road to the grocery store or anything like that. You couldn't go out for dinner, um, and then obviously if you got to the hotel, then you were considered to be in the bubble as well, and um, you were kind of you were um, asked to self isolate until um, you went and got a test the next morning. So 
Um, yeah, everyone was a bit different. I, I actually rented a car and, and drove um, from Northern Ireland down to Dublin. I got the ferry from Dublin across the Holyhead and then drove up through um, the middle of England and Scotland. Um, just so like, just to feel like I got away from everything um, yeah. for a couple of days. So yeah, it was the same thing. I got into the hotel at, on Tuesday night and um, I was then obviously considered in the bubble. So um, yeah, like the, the second week in, you know, I'm sorry, in Edinburgh, we were staying kind of in the middle of town there. Um, and we were like parking in a multi-level story car park and then, and, and there was like one sort of section, um, sectioned off for the players and anyone at the event that was in the bubble. Um, so obviously you just leave your car and, um, had to go straight back to the hotel and then you couldn't leave the hotel, um, to go anywhere. Um, a couple of guys were able to stay at the golf course. So we had two, there was two hotels. I was at that hotel. There was one that was closer to the course. Uh, and then there was a few guys that stayed at the course as well. So, um, it obviously varies week to week as to whether they've got the capacity in the hotels to be able to have everyone in there. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, I mean, Europe was very strict. Um, obviously even while you're leaving that bubble and then, um, every day you turn up, turn up to the course and they would have the, I'm sure everyone in Victoria's had them with the, well, it looks like a gun that you get pointed at your head for the temperature test. Um, and you have to have your credentials on you to get signed in and, and everything like that. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was full on process and um, yeah, you sort of, you just don't, you, you forget how nice it is to be able to kind of go out of your room and, and just go for a walk or um, yeah, just go and, you know, whether you got to grab something from the grocery store down the road or um, you know, go, go for dinner or um, even just like, even if you had some friends in Edinburgh that you want to catch up with, um, unless you were, out of the hotel on Sunday night, like you couldn't go and see them until until Monday uh, if you weren't going straight to, to Wentworth. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was restrictive, um, and I could you know you could just I could see how guys would go crazy in there mm. for weeks on end playing a lot of events. Um, but you also kind of obviously had to look at it from a perspective that like we were lucky to be still able to play. Um, and and play for the money that we were playing for at those Rolex events and um and obviously like you know the US Open over in the States we're we're very fortunate to be still able to do that. So um yeah you, you sort of you know you couldn't really complain about anything in the bubble. It was sort of a, it was a necessity. Um good resilience build. I was just gonna ask one more question. Sorry Jamie. Um yeah, you know, the European Tour, I credit with doing some great work in in building the profile of golf and making you know the work that you guys do look look fun and um, you know making it very interesting and and you know, making us want to watch content. You got co opted into making a bit of con- content for them after the Scottish Open on the drive down to Wentworth. Uh, was that fun? Is that something you'd do again? Is that you know where you see yourself doing a bit more of that sort of work? Um, yeah, I love doing any of that social media stuff generally, um, with the tour. I think, yeah, Europe, Europe does a really fun job of, um, of stuff and, and yeah, just, you know, they're always coming up with, with, you know, the kids club challenge or like these 14 club challenges or just the, yeah, the things they come up with are always quite fun and entertaining, I think, um. And, you know, if you, if you see one, like, you know, the, kid, the Kids Club Challenge one was being filmed on Wednesday in Ireland. 
and you just kind of hang out like when are they going to release that video like that'd be pretty cool just to see how everyone played it and, and that kind of thing so it's like it's always fun through the week when you've seen one of them being created as to when it's going to come out um yeah like, i don't like i don't know it's it's a really interesting one um you sort of like i would i'd love to do more of it in the future for as a player as far as like outside of being a player i've, I've after my career's finished is like such an, it's, it's so far out of my mind as to what I'll kind of do. And, and I'm still probably trying to play well enough and make enough of a, of a name for myself to be able to create opportunities when I do finish playing. Um, because I think, yeah, if you look at the guys who are either commentating now or have that kind of personality with the game, they're all ex players that actually had personality and actually could talk. Um, so yeah, just trying to sort of, give myself as much exposure and those kind of things as possible. And, um, you know, it's built a, built a bit of a brand for myself. So, um, yeah, it was, it was good fun. We, uh, I, look, I love, I love road trips. I've never got an issue with driving. I think it was like an eight hour drive and I had no issue with that. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, sort of, we played all sorts of games, obviously as what we saw in, um, in the video and, um, yeah, had all sorts of laughs. So that was good fun. I could see you, um, I could see you hosting a hole-in-one TV show where you're you know, <laughs> you're the uh, you're the host of the show, and then amateur golfers are stepping up. They've got you know twenty balls each, and they've got to have a hole-in-one, and you're just there digging the boots in and probably making quite a few men cry. To be honest, I reckon that'd be great TV. Yeah, look, the problem, the only problem I see with that is it was I was playing with all my friends today, and we were talking about this as far as sledging goes. I don't really know when to stop. And I feel no, like people could get you're very, right. no, you're right. you very, don't. very quickly if I started digging the boots in. Um, so that might be the only thing I'd have to uh, rein in a little bit. But we've definitely, me and you have definitely talked about it before. We're going to do a uh, <laughs> European Tour did that 500-shot challenge as to whether someone could make a hole in one. We definitely want to get Jamie involved in that. Um, probably have to have a few more cameras than what the European Tour would because we'd have to film a few extra spots that Jamie might hit it into. I'd imagine as a lefty, very 45 degrees left of the club might also need a permanent camera on that direction. But Hosel cam, uh, that's called Hosel cam. Hosel cam. We might have, you might have to have the camera angle from like his left leg kind of looking at the ball <laughs> and then just like tracking, you'd be able to get the, the shot tracker on it from that direction as to where it goes. Um, oh. But we could, yeah, we could have a lot of fun with that. That'd actually be a really good video, I think. It just brought back a memory of when Jackie and I and a couple of friends went on our New South Wales golf trip and uh, I can't remember the course, but we got to a par three and there was a lady hanging her washing out on the second level. Uh, she thought she was safe. Um, oh, no. But she uh, she did have to duck when I yelled out, <laughs> look out. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, so, uh, so I have tried to. Tried to bring some entertainment to par threes. Unfortunately, it's been the wrong sort of entertainment. But um, talking about gratitude, to finish off tonight, mate, I think um, I think I want to get your gratitude levels around being back at home and uh, the opportunity to have a palmy, which Roscoe was telling me earlier tonight. He's a big fan of. I'm a massive fan. And the punters out there need to know how much of a fan you are of a good palmy. Yeah, I'm a real Palmer connoisseur. If you're going to call it Palmy again, I'm going to leave this chat very quickly. Thank uh, you. Palmer. Thank you, thank you, Lucas. Very well said. Thank you very much just, for bringing that to his attention. Roscoe, just winding you okay. up. Okay, Palmy. What's a is, is that a? Oh, it's not a Queensland thing, is it? I 
heard a hundred Queenslanders hit the unfollow button on my Instagram account. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a Palmer. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a big. Well, I mean, I don't even know if they do them overseas, to be honest. But if they do, they don't get them anything like a uh, a pub in Australia does them. Um, usually, pubs get one chance to meet if they if they stuff the first Palmer up. I'm not going back. I like um, it. I like it. Very critical of it. So yeah, I think uh, I'm, look, I'm tempted to I'm tempted to start an Instagram page just as a Palmer rater in Australia. Just you know, do a bit of a tour. Like you know, that would have been if we get another lockdown again. Maybe I'll just do a, a tour of Australia, just rating all the different Palmers around the country. Um, so you had a few this week. Um, yeah, but it's like I've been going back to the well this week. It, so the Tyson's Reef Hotel in Bendigo that was the best Palmer in Bendigo, probably in yeah. Victoria by a long way. Um, and I so I just keep going back there um, because it's very reliable. Uh, yeah. I know I'm going to get a good one there. And in my last few days before I go over to a land that won't do any sort of ham on the top of a schnitzel, um, I'm making sure that I, I get good quality farmers. Um, so, yeah, a, a, a chicken. Like, if you ever if you ever hear people talking about it, if you won the Masters, what would be what would be your uh, your meal of choice? You know, you, you know, you get to the Champions Dinner the next year, you get to set your yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, it'd be it'd be a chicken palmer, uh, and I'd probably fly the chef in from the Tyson's Reef to cook it uh, if I won. And, and what, uh, what's your go-to drink with it? There'd be there'd be some red wine happening. Um, dessert might get messy though because I'd probably throw a lot in there because I'm a bit of a sweet tooth as well. Yeah, so yeah. nice. Yeah, we might have uh, anyone who's a past champion might be rolling with the first tee the next morning, but. Um, could we have a couple of chilies for Dominic? Tiger serve che- uh, cheeseburgers and milkshakes. So I feel like anything I do can't be that bad. Yeah. Chilies for Dominic. Oh. Well, do we want him to turn up on Thursday? No, that's why we want chilies for Dominic. Dom- oh, we're going to have to disguise them as some kind of non heat wave uh, kind of <laughs> food object because he's starting to clue on to things that are a bit too spicy. Um, but uh, I've taken, taken a lot of joy this week in showing anyone I can find the video of his uh, incident in Mexico um, where in a previous in a couple of previous bets he'd owed me uh, two, ha- or two chilies uh, he had to eat. Um, and to give you an idea on Dominic's spice tolerance, he was trying to blow the peri-peri salt off some chips one day when he lost the bet and had to eat... Uh, <laughs> Chips from Nando's with peri peri salt on them, or fries for our uh, for our American listeners. Um, so he, yeah, not a very good, uh, not a very good spice eater is Dominic. And uh, when I played the WGC in Mexico, and on Wednesday at lunchtime, called the chef over and asked him for his two hottest chilies from the kitchen. Uh, Dom didn't quite know what was about to hit him, uh, and neither neither did his stomach. Um, and therefore decided to evacuate at all exits um, everything that was in the contents of his stomach. And uh, wasn't pretty. <laughs> anyway, oh, what a great way to end the podcast, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I do That's miss my professional. I do, I do miss Roscoe being out on tour with uh, with Herbie and Dominic uh, because holy smoke, the the fun that we have and. Generally, it's Dominic's, uh, Dominic's expense, although I've had my own share of expense. But uh, hopefully next year, mate, we can get back out there on tour every now and then and, um, yeah, get some fun content up for uh, 
for the crew. So, um, yeah. That's great. But, uh, well, look, I, I know, I know, you know, on a serious level, talking about that, you know, any team that performs at a high level, you know, has to have some fun, has to be enjoyable to be around, to be around each other. And, you know, you don't have to listen to too much of the way that you guys behave with each other, to each other, respect each other, but have some fun with each other to realise that is, you know, the construct of a very solid team that has a good foundation that hopefully, uh, you know, can can reap good rewards for uh, all parties, but especially you, Lucas, um, as we turn back to the finishing this year and obviously, you know, the years ahead. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's really good for me to sit here and, you know, as I say, fly on the wall, push a button and, and see it because, yeah, I know a little bit about teams and team building. I haven't been in the corporate world and, and what makes it tick and what makes it tick off. And, uh, you know, what I see from you guys, uh, you know, doing the right thing and open and honest conversations is, is the key to that and I see a lot of it. So it's great. Thanks for letting me. Yeah. Thanks for letting me be part part of it some way. Herbie's uh, Herbie's manager now is just doing his part and looking after a uh, a diaper sponsorship for Dominic. Um, <laughs> so I think that's. Uh, I try, I, 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 sorry, sorry, Lucas. I cut you off there. Go again. Surely Huggies will come on board at some point for him. I don't know. They make them in koala bum size. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just tried to, you know, round this off with a very serious and positive note. <laughs> we went straight back to the diapers. He wants to. Uh, he wants to run a marathon. Do you reckon they do a sports diaper? <laughs> sport. What about a sports bra? <laughs> oh. Sorry. No. Sorry, very no. good. Very good. But no, thanks for joining us tonight, mate. Um, hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your time back up there in Bendigo. Last couple of days before flying out to Dubai, and uh, look forward to seeing you. Um, yeah, finish off the year uh, with a smile and um, and you know tick off some goals that we've got to uh, got to finish off. So thanks, lad. Chat, Jamie. I'm now I won't have to call you tomorrow to have a professional chat. We just had all our chats tonight. Perfect. Very good. Uh, I'll, op- I'll open up my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you've uh, stayed the duration of this. Uh, this length of the time, you know, you are a dedicated fan, not only to Lucas Herbert, uh, as we wish him all the best, but also to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. You can check all Jamie's work out on at Jamie Glazier. You can check out Insight Golf Academy, which is great. And, and Lucas, you know, we'll need to get you looking at that. Um, and you can check it all out and be part of the journey as we uh, help you build an unbreakable mental game. That's the, that's the right catchphrase, isn't it, Jamie? That's, that's close enough at uh, 10 o'clock at night, Roscoe. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by Dare to Dream. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and head over to daretodream.com.au for exclusive access to the free video program, Eight Tips to an Unbreakable Mental Game. Join us next time on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast.